You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very unhappy GobblerCountry.com podcast, Talking Turkey. I'm being very exact because I, I didn't get on the live last night with Jay because, frankly, I didn't want to type something that I didn't want to have to erase. So we have the loss yesterday, and around that loss yesterday are some performance things that are kind of stunning and a little bit upsetting. And right now, Jay Johnson, it's your turn to hit your low light. Thanks, Sean. Um, so for those of you that participated in the Facebook last night, this will be a little bit redundant, but the big thing I wanna bring up is the fact that with the offense struggling, we didn't put the ball in our best offensive playmaker's hand. Certainly Hendon Hooker had a good game on the ground, but obviously he was struggling in the air. And Wake was really selling out against the run. And instead of challenging them, when they did sell out on the run, stacking the box, putting a spy on Herbert, instead of challenging that and seeing whether or not Wake could maintain that, we just stopped. So Herbert only touched the ball 14 times, which is the second least that he's touched the ball all season. The first being against North Carolina State, where he only touched the ball 10 times, but he also had a 10.4 yard average and I think two touchdowns on the ground. So he was running the ball. It was just a lot farther. So unfortunately, we did not see Khalil Herbert, our best offensive playmaker, touch the ball when we needed to most. And we were never down so far that the running game needed to be abandoned because we needed to make up points. Especially entering the second half down by 10 points, we should have been doing our best to put together four or five minute scoring drives, stalling out in the red zone, like give it to Herbert. Let him challenge that defense. And I think we would have seen fewer interceptions and I think we would have seen more touchdowns. So that's what I had to say about that. Okay, next up, Brian Manning, my regular co-host. Thanks, John. And to touch on Jay's point, great point. We need to get the ball to Herbert much more than we did. I mean, the game was close. There's no way he should have 14 total touches on offense, just inexcusable. And we know whose fault that is, Mr. Cornelson. But I want to touch on Hooker a little bit because yesterday he, he was, I hate to say it because I like Hooker a lot and I believe he is the right quarterback for this offense, but he was awful. He was missing high all day long, forcing things into coverage. I mean, he made Nick Anderson a household name yesterday, a guy we'd never heard of. And, of course, the awful broadcast team, which which I can't stress how awful that was. The only thing worse than the broadcast team was the officials. But they made a, a point to know that Anderson was a walk-on from Centerville, Virginia. And I don't know how many times I get sick of hearing that, but Hooker missed so many times. He was forcing things. He was missing open guys. He was putting too much air under the ball. Just a, just a bad day, and and that's a little bit a little bit on Cornelson's fault because he needed to find better reads for him and simplify things a little bit. And I can't stress this enough as Jay did too. We need to get Blackshear more involved in the passing game. Throughout the offseason, we heard how dynamic he was in the passing game, and he's he's getting no targets in the passing game. Instead, they want to run these sweeps to the left with Blackshear that 
The last two times he touched the ball yesterday was a sweep to the left that was so predictable. They both lost seven yards each time. And they went back to the same play, the exact formation, everything. They'd lost seven yards inside. They had a first and goal there in the first half and ran that play, lost seven yards, went back to it again, lost seven yards. Just unbelievable the things that Cornelson was calling yesterday. And you adjust to the game plan. Like Justin Hamilton did a good job. Like I'm critical of him in the first half. The defense was bad, but those guys adjusted. Same way with Coach Foster for years. If, if Coach Foster was struggling in the first half, you could bet that he was going to adjust things for the second half. The defense did that yesterday. Were they flawless? Absolutely not. But they did enough to win this game. When you hold somebody to 23 points, when you're averaging over 40 points a game, then that's inexcusable. That's completely on the offense. And, and then there's the penalties, which were very undisciplined effort on both sides of the ball yesterday. And I thought they were, officials were too flag happy on both teams. Okay, well, I guess it's my turn before we wrap up this the offense carp session. This one is partially on Hendon, unfortunately, because of whatever problems he was having with his throws. But I dropped this squarely in the lap of Brad Cornelson. Uh, I don't even drop it in the lap of Fuente as much because, as I've found out over a period of time, Fuente has very little to do with the actual offense once the game has started, I think that the offensive game plan was wrong to begin with. It was simple. It was too simple. It was overly simple. It was almost insane that it was that simple. And, and Brian, your comments in that direction are correct that I noticed. We put Hendon Hooker, who was struggling on the pass, in bad situation after bad situation. There was nobody on the sideline to help Hendon Hooker sit down with him, figure out what was going on, try to find out what they could do in order to fix whatever he was having problems with. And there certainly were no play calling adjustments to say, okay, well, if he's having problems throwing the ball, let's change the targeting zone. Let's change some of the patterns up. We saw no intermediate patterns. We saw situations where before the recording session, Jay and I were talking about the two issues. One was a third and eight where we desperately needed to get a first down and there was nothing at eight yards. There was nothing at nine yards. There were no patterns there. They went for a broke on third and eight and basically the ball got thrown away, which didn't make any sense. Then on top of that, to give you an idea of the targeting problem, and well, we'll talk about real targeting as a penalty problem in the defensive section. But in the offensive section, the quarterback needs to be able to target accurately a particular kind of pass. And in this case, it was that seam pass into the end zone to James Mitchell. And that would have been a touchdown and a tie game or changed the momentum of the game. And what happened was Hendon threw it low and to Mitchell's right, which was right into the defensive pattern of the defender. And he should have been throwing it high and to the left of Mitchell. And I've seen him make that throw before several times. So I'm not exactly sure what was going on with Hendon, but he needed a coach and he didn't have a coach. He had somebody up in the booth on a set of headphones with a, a broken Xbox in his hand looking for you know plays out of Madden from the Xbox. It just didn't make any sense. The offense was just off yesterday. So that was my rant. It was not a good showing, and I'm not putting it on the defense because you're, and we'll talk about in the second segment of this, the defense made the adjustments and got critical stops and got some defensive momentum going. 
what I didn't see was anything approaching an adjustment in the offense. Nothing. Zero. And we could have really stomped on them. I'm going to leave this segment with my rant anyway and a note that, ladies and gentlemen, we won the football game yesterday if we had not left 19 total points on the field. Those are 19 verifiable either field goals that could have been touchdowns or that missed touchdown to James Mitchell. We left 19 points on the field, which was more than enough cushion to have won that football game. That's just my final. Anybody got anything in the last few seconds of this? Nothing to add. I think we covered it. So we'll be back after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back, everybody. Brian and Jay are back with me for this second segment. Nobody's bailed out just yet or gotten really violently ill. But we're going to talk about something that might have been a little bit more hopeful yesterday. And I got to tell you, as grindy teeth as I was, you know, by the middle of the second quarter on the defensive side of the ball, I started to smile a little bit in the middle of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter. Our defense made some serious adjustments, both in attitude and in play structure, and was actually, yeah, it wasn't the world's best. And yeah, Wake was still moving the ball, but they got some stops in in the second half, guys. Okay, Jay, you go first on this one again. The thing I'd like to bring up is something I've harped on as a negative for the past month, which is the secondary. So Wake Forest doesn't have a joke at quarterback. Sam Hartman, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the ACC. And they held him to 110 yards last night. And that's by far his worst performance. Clemson only held him to 182, right? So our defensive backs did a better job stopping Hartman. You have their wide receiving core, who is, again, you got, you know, Robertson and Green are pretty stout, man. Robertson has a 13.8 yard average and Green has a 21.3 yard average. Both of them are held to under 100 yards. And that's fantastic. Yep. We let a 100-yard rusher happen, but we were able to successfully shut down what is legitimately a dangerous passing game. And, you know, to kind of echo the sentiments of our previous section, when the defense that you know is struggling and is going to be your weakness holds a team like Wake Forest to 23 points, go score 24 points. That's all I have to say. All right, Mr. Manning. I'm disappointed with the defense and the aspect of the missed tackles. I'm not used to seeing this many missed tackles. And that that one touchdown run there in the second half, I believe it was Walker who scored. The way he just ran through the defensive line, linebacker secondary, it was a short run, but they were just falling off of him. And that was very disappointing to see. As a whole, the performance by the defense isn't, I don't like, because I'm seeing him getting blown off the ball a lot in the front seven, and that's discouraging. However, I do think they made some big adjustments, and they did what they could to win the football game. I mean, they go in the second half. They allowed, I think Wake Forest scored six points in the second half. I mean, they did what they had to do. There was adjustments there, and Wake Forest offense really didn't have as many big plays in the second half, maybe two, three big plays. So the defense did its job. They should have won the game. And for that, I mean, when we look back at this game, this is all on the offense. I I can't complain too much about the defense yesterday other than the missed tackles, which is a trend right now. and But it didn't cost them the game, so I'll just leave it at that. Okay, well, that's a fair assessment. I'm not disagreeing with you. A couple of things that I noticed. Number one, we're still having problems on the interior of the line. I'm still not thrilled with the fact that we play a wide A-gap front line instead of back to the bare front where you actually have a true nose tackle. 
which directly impacts a direct fast attack running game like Wake was running on us. Because what happens is, is you're giving away four or five yards on the A-gap. That can't happen. You can't do that and expect to stop a running game. Eventually, they did start to fill in that gap in the second half. And it was like, why didn't you notice it in the first half? Instead of sticking with what you were doing, which wasn't working. The one thing that I did notice is that some of the bad non-flags were happening inside the interior of the line. Wake Forest was getting away with just some, and I will call it violent holding. And I think that's what set Jared Hewitt off. Besides the unfair targeting call, if you're going to call targeting on a valid tackle on a quarterback, just because the quarterback got his bell rung, you, you know, excuse me, a 300 pound man can't take his head off, put it between his legs, make the tackle and then put his head back on again. So it was a complete that happens in football kind of fluke. And to have called that targeting, number one, was unforgivable. And then two, I'm upset because then Hewitt made it worse by going off. And that was something that Tierlink really needed to grab him and get him the hell out of there and fast because he was, you know, yeah, it was unfair, but there's not anything anybody's going to do anything about it. And it's too politically correct or politically incorrect to challenge how bad the targeting rule is and how physically, and I mean from from the laws of physics, as much as the laws of somebody trying to make football safer, you know, when those things sort of clash, you get these really bad rules that are arbitrarily enforced. It's like the holding call, the same thing. Either you're going to call holding or you're not. And when you have literal tackles going on on the defensive lineman in the middle of the line, that's where the chippiness started coming in. And then, of course, the referees start throwing flags randomly at just about anything. And I've talked to referees before. Teams do get flagged more than other teams because they're acting, you know, because the referees see them. They'll only admit this with a little lubrication going on. But the big thing is, is that, yeah, well, that team is chippier than the other team, so I need to control them. So they're going to get more flags. Well, that results in some really egregious imbalance between flags that are called on one team and flags that are called on the other in, in a situation. And it was a horribly called game. You are right. And it was on both sides. It's just because of the nature of what was going on, we got hit with it worse. And at some point, the league is going to have to figure out how to fix their refereeing situation and their rules. And the NCAA is going to have to figure out how to fix their rules. On, on that targeting call, you could make a case that the one on Diablo that wasn't called targeting was more targeting than the one on Hewitt. And I personally would not have called either one of them targeting. Yeah, I wouldn't have called either one targeting. And yes, you are exactly correct. The one on Diablo was way closer. Hewitt had nothing to do with targeting. Hewitt was basically just doing a drag tackle and Hartman mm-hmm. got hit into the turf. And that's what knocked him goofy, not the helmet, which, like I said, where are you going to put a big helmet like that? Anybody who's worn one knows, you know, it's like, what do you expect me to do with my head? And he was also a 300-pound guy flying across the field. The momentum yeah. was taking him into the quarterback. So 
Yeah, it, it, it was it was an unforgivable targeting call. It just was. And like I said, the problem is, is there's no rational appeal for the targeting call. There's no way to say, no, it wasn't targeting. The only thing that's going to stop that is one team is going to get up and say, okay, then we're off the field. You've made it impossible to play football. So we're not. We're not endangering anybody anymore. And that's the only way that somebody is going to start addressing that stupid rule. And I understand the lovely intent of the rule, but it is in general pretty stupid. And it's very badly administered on the field because it's so arbitrary. One way they can fix a targeting call is to say simply, your helmet is not allowed to be the first thing that makes contact with the player. You can't even do that, Jay. I mean, you you wear a bucket when you're at 30,000 feet humming along and you hit turbulence what hits first oh like i just Randy- mean like you can't spear them you know it used to be spearing wasn't that a call where if like you launched yes. and like led yes. with your helmet it was spearing. yes and that's like, what bring that back yes i will agree bring the spearing penalty back you know your arms aren't out if your arms are out there's no way you should ever be called for targeting period it means that you're trying to wrap the guy up and you just have nowhere to put your head and it, it's just ridiculous. So that that's my rant on the rules as we wrap this up. The defense did not lose this. It was an offensive flop, and offensive flops happen. Hendon Hooker had his bad game. I'm hoping that the coaches get to him and figure out what happened. I don't know what the practice structure was last week. Supposedly, it was not good. There was a lot of stuff going on, and I don't know what it was, but there was just stuff going on. So at this point, we have a really tough game next week at Louisville, but then nobody knows what Louisville, hey, look, Penn State lost yesterday to Indiana. So this is going to be a weird football. I, I was trying to tell this to our old editor, Brandon, who was on the thread. Stop. This is not your standard season. This is COVID. Everybody's going to remember this as the weirdest season on record. It's just going to be. And stuff is going to happen. And I would almost say that it would have been worth just parking the whole football season, except for the fact that I love football and missing football. It would be like missing my life in the fall. But this is ridiculous right now for people to be comparing this with any other season in the league. I don't know how you guys agree before we close it out. I'll let our special guest, Mr. Cornelson, sign us out. The only thing that I'll I'll add on is I, you know, we talked about it earlier. This is going to be a weird season, but you're absolutely right when we take a look at Louisville. Javian Hawkins, or Hawkins, their running back, is a monster. He's small and he's quick, and he is got numbers that are comparable to Herbert's. Herbert's a little bit better, but Javian Hawkins is a guy that can get into the backfield, get into the secondary, and punish Virginia Tech. We're going to have to score points next week. Yep. And last word, Brian. I agree with Jay. It's, we're going to need an offensive bounce back next week, and, and I do believe we'll get that. Not so much because I have confidence in the OC, but I have confidence in the talent that we have on that side of the ball. I think the offensive line, who I don't think was horrible yesterday by, by any means, I think it was more execution and play calling than, than the offensive line not doing their job. But I think the entire unit gets back on track next week, and I think the offense is going to score over 30 points next week. But it becomes a win or not, it's how our defense responds because Louisville is no pushover. Nope. And even if they are struggling a bit, yesterday they won big. So, everybody have hope. Now, what do we all leave our podcast with? Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.